Good morning, everyone. Welcome. I'm so grateful that you're here. Those of you that are joining us in the sanctuary and those of you joining us at home, we're grateful that you are here. Uh, For these last seven weeks, uh, we have been going through a short series on the principle of the last sayings of Christ and the things that those words actually mean to us. Uh, They're leading up to next Sunday being Palm Sunday, and then, of course, the Sunday after that being Resurrection Sunday. I'd encourage all of you to be here for that, as many as you can be. Uh, It'd be a great time to invite friends and family. There's going to be a special service just specifically geared around the message of Easter. Um, One of the principles that I started with is that the last words that a person speaks, although they might not be pithy or deep or inspirational, they're still some of the most important things that a person says. At least it feels that way to a family. I can remember one of the last things my father ever said to me and how important those were and how they impacted my life. Uh, So I want to encourage you as we're kind of drawing it to a close today, that you think through what are some of the things that Jesus said while hanging on the cross, and what do those words mean for you personally? Not just generically, but how do they impact your own soul? Uh, I did some research and I found some interesting last words that others spoke, and I just thought I would share a few of them because I thought you might appreciate them. The first is by a guy by the name of James Rogers, who was a criminal who was about to be executed by a firing squad. And when asked, do you have any last wishes? He said, well, as a matter of fact, I do. I'd like a bulletproof vest. (laughs) Those were his last words. Um, General John Sedgwick, who was a Union commander in the Civil War, was overheard to say, while looking at the distant enemy on the far hill, to say these words, those Confederates couldn't hit an elephant at this distance. I like that one. (laughs) Pancho Villa, the famous Mexican leader's last words were, don't let it end like this. Tell people I said something, anything. Couldn't think of anything to say. Uh, Today, we're finishing up the last words of Christ. And if you would, turn to Luke chapter 23. If you have your Bibles, you can open up on your phone if that's your preference. Luke chapter 23. Luke 23 and verse 44. They'll be on the screen in front of you. Luke 23, 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, which would be about noon, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. So that's now three o'clock. So it's been about six hours that Jesus has been hanging on the cross. Then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. What I want to do very, very briefly, kind of as a lead into what I really felt for this morning, is I want to give you three kinds of characteristics that I saw surrounding Jesus' death. The first is that Jesus gave up his life voluntarily. Um, I don't know how many of you guys went to see the movie The Passion. Any of you saw the movie The Passion? Uh, I saw it with a group of pastors down in Florida at the time. 
Uh, and when it came out, there was all kinds of discussion that was very interesting to me because the, the crux of the discussion surrounded who really killed Jesus. That was the question that was being asked following the movie. Who killed Jesus? And some people said, well, it was the Roman soldiers. Others said, no, it was the religious leaders. Others said, no, it was the crowd. But the question was, who killed Jesus? And uh, for those of you that are Jeopardy fans, the answer is, who is none of these? Because Jesus Himself said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. He'd been clear that from the beginning He had come to die. And I want you to hear that. Jesus was born and lived His life with the purpose that He would die for you and I. That wasn't like uh, something that was thrust upon Him. No one took His life. He gave His life. Uh, he says in John chapter 10, Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay my life down that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. His last words upon the cross designated that He actually was giving up His life. He was laying His life down. It wasn't being taken. He was no victim. He was actually the victor in the midst of it all. The second point is this. Jesus gave up His life victoriously. The Scripture says He cried out or He shouted out these words. Now, I have been at uh, probably more people's deathbed than probably most of you in this room, probably more than any of you in this room. I've had the privilege of being with family as they have prayed for the passing of a loved one and in those moments tried to give comfort to the family. And I can tell you that over all of my years, over 40 years in the ministry now, over all of those years, I have never heard anyone shout out from the deathbed. I've heard people... Um, mutter under their breath. I've heard people groan with the pain that they were experiencing. I've watched people try to signal something that they might want. I've watched people stare off and I've wondered as they're staring off, are they seeing things on the other side that we can't see yet? I know when my father-in-law was passing, it was funny, in, in a way it was odd. He was laying in a bed that was in their living room, a hospital bed, and he just kept looking at the ceiling and I kept thinking, what are you staring at? I'm convinced to this day that he was seeing beyond this veil to another side that we all need to see and we will see one day. But in the midst of all of my ministry, I have never heard anyone shout out because usually by that point in time, they have no strength left. They can barely mutter a word. And yet here, Jesus, who had suffered the agony of being mutilated before He was hung on a cross for six hours, the Scripture says He shouted it out. We looked last week at this principle that Jesus was the victor in it all. The enemy thought He had defeated Him, but that just wasn't true. Three days later would prove it, although actually even before three days were gone, while He was still in the grave, the Scripture says He went into the hell itself and there He preached to those who were held captive. He was the victor in it all. This was the death of death as John Owens preached 200 years ago. This was Christ upon the cross. The third thing is that Jesus gave up His life fully trusting God. The words that Jesus spoke, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the words that Jesus spoke are actually a quotation from the Old Testament. 
They come from Psalm 31, verse 5, where the psalmist said, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. And not only is it a quote from the Psalms, it was a phrase that every single Jew would know by heart. They were taught it from the youngest age on as a nightly prayer. They would pray, into your hands I commit my spirit, Lord God. Much as our children might have learned the prayer that we taught some of our kids as they were little, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, in the same way, the Jewish children of that day were taught this psalm as their nightly prayer. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, prayed it when he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The last words that Christ would speak while hanging upon the cross were words that took him back to the core of his faith, the core of his upbringing, what he learned. You know, a lot of parents think that what we teach our children when they're little, they'll never remember, they'll forget it, because the truth is we forget as we age. But the truth is, those core things come back to us. And in his last moments, Jesus remembered that prayer that he was taught as a little boy. Into your hands I commit my spirit. What I want to do now, and kind of where I was hoping to go from the beginning, is I want to talk about how these words matter to us. I want to talk about kind of like, what are our final takeaways from these words that Jesus spoke while hanging upon the cross? So I want to give you... uh, Four words that I believe kind of capture it for us. Number one, we have a Father in Heaven who loves us. He loves us. This is the first thing that you need to remember when you're having a dark day or a dark night of the soul or maybe like all of us, a dark year with 2020 and how it has impacted us. Uh, Jesus starts His final words with Father. Father. A few weeks ago, you'll remember, We looked at the fact that while Jesus was hanging on the cross, in those moments in which the sin, my sin and your sin, the sin of mankind was laid upon Him by His Father, in those moments, for the very first time that I could discover, Jesus actually spoke to God as God, not as Father. Why? Because in that moment, the sin of mankind separated Him from His relationship with His Father. And he knew him as God, but not as Father in that moment. In Matthew chapter 6 and Luke 11, Jesus taught us a prayer though. I don't know how many of you guys learned it growing up. Uh, Some people call it the Our Father prayer. Some people call it the Lord's prayer. Some people call it the Disciples prayer because actually it was Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. But it starts out by saying this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But it starts out with our Father. Our Father. Scripture says in John 16 and verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and I go to the Father. Father. The first word that we ought to know when we come into relationship with God, the word that most often is used is the word Abba. Abba. A Jewish child 
would call their father, instead of calling him Dada as their first word, they would say Abba. Abba. And Paul tells us in, John, in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We have that privilege to say Abba. The first words that we would learn. But what do we know about this God whom we call Father? A lot of you, like me, perhaps had a father who was a bit imperfect in terms of his image of what it means to be a father. Uh, maybe your dad was an angry man. Maybe your dad was uh, out of control sometimes. Maybe he was even violent at times. Um, what about our Father in Heaven? What, what is He like? When I, when I took a moment, I tried to think of some words that captured Him. These are the words, and I just made them all begin with C. Uh, I, you don't have to write these down. These are just words that I thought of when I thought of God. I think of close. The Scripture says He's close to us. He's near to those of a broken and a humble spirit. He's close. He's caring. I believe God always cares about what we're going through, no matter what it is. God genuinely cares. He's compassionate. It's more than just that He cares. His heart comes out towards us. He's competent. There's nothing He can't do. There's nothing He can't handle. He's capable. And finally, He's consistent. Not only do I have a Father in Heaven who loves me, but number two, I have a Father who can be trusted. I don't know what your Father was like. Uh, uh, by trust, by the way, I don't mean necessarily that your Father was a liar or a flim-flam man or something like that. He's a scammer. I, I'm not meaning that. I mean you never knew what you might get from your Father. I don't know how many of you were like that. Uh, with my Father growing up, I never could tell ahead of time what mood he might be in and what I might get from I didn't know whether you'd get a hug or whether you'd get a slug. Just didn't know. And you would live your whole life watching carefully, trying to read the signs ahead of time so that you could either absent yourself from it or you could actually get in on the good side if it happened to be a good day. Well, i got to tell you, our Father in Heaven is nothing like that. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know the name Tyler Perry. Uh, he's a... Um, apparently an actor today, a well-known actor, I guess, who's also produced and directed some movies. He actually is a Christian. And he gave his testimony recently. And in his testimony, he talked about the fact that as a young boy, he actually built for himself what he called a safe room. So that when his father was around, he could go into his safe room and escape from his father. And for some of you, that's what life was like. So that when we talk about God being our father, for some of you, it evokes an image that isn't a great image of what it means to be a father. But I want to suggest to you that uh, we have the ability, because of God's goodness that we have sung about today, His kindness, His care, His compassion, we have the ability to trust Him. And we have to, ultimately, everybody in life has to make a decision about who they're going to trust. You know, if I were to take a vote right now, who, who do you trust? How many of you would vote and say, I will trust Congress? Not a hand. My word. Um, surely you could trust our public servants, right? Uh, how many of you would say, okay, I won't trust Congress, but I'll trust the media because I know they always report the truth. How about... Uh, I'll trust the polls 
because I figure if I pull everybody out of all of them, the popular opinion will give me the truth, right? How about I trust my own gut? I hear people say that. I, I just trusted my gut. Uh, I trust myself because you know and I know you've never made a mistake. You've never been wrong about anything. So the question is, who are you going to trust? I would like to suggest three criteria. Number one, you need to trust somebody who knows everything. Got any idea who that might be? Levi. You need to trust somebody who truly has your best in mind and in heart. Only your best. Not their best. Not what's... Not any of you parents who are tired that night and don't feel like being kind and nice and send your kids to bed early just to get a break. I'm talking about somebody who truly has your best at heart. And number three, somebody who will always tell you the truth. Not what's convenient, what's not easy to get past. I'm talking about the truth. And as far as I know, there is only one person who actually is all of that. And it's God our Father. Our Father. He knows the end from the beginning. He's completely perfect. He's never made a mistake. He always knows what's best for you. And He's not affected by popular opinion or bias. He only cares about what is best for you because He created you and He knows what's best for you. Psalm 33, verse 4 says, For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything God does. You can't say that about your spouse. You can't say that about um, the president, past or present. You can't say that about me. You can't say that about anybody except for God, who is eternally good and therefore worthy of your trust. I came across a bumper sticker recently and it says this. Maybe you've even seen it on a car here in town. It says this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Can I tell you? I appreciate your amens, but I don't agree with it. I think it's wrong. I think it should say, God said it. That settles it. It doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. It's still true because God said it. God's Word is truth. You know, there's a lot of things over the years that I didn't used to believe that I now have come to believe in God. I've grown. I've changed. I think it's far more important that we just listen to what God says. When I travel, most often what I do is I turn on my Bluetooth and I listen to Scripture throughout the Bible. I just, you know, I, I'm actually right now I'm in Ezekiel. Not a book that's easy to read through. It's got some really weird images in there, you know, with this wheel upon a wheel and some other stuff. But I listen to it because I believe that God's Word is so true and powerful that it sinks into my soul whether I know it or not. I think God can be trusted. The word commit, by the way, some of your translations might say entrust. But that word comes from the Greek word paratithomai, and it means to make a deposit. It's actually evoking the image of having like a safe deposit box. I don't know how many of you guys ever have gone down to the bank and you can pay them like a monthly fee for a safety deposit box. And there you put all of your treasured possessions. Maybe your deed is in there. Maybe your insurance papers or something like that. Stuff that matters to you. 
you put in there in order to keep it safe. Well, in effect, Jesus is saying, I have found that the Father is my best safe deposit box. I take all the things that matter to me and I put it in God. And so my question to you this morning is, what do you need to entrust to your Heavenly Father today? What have you been laying in bed at night worrying about that you know you can't handle on your own? That you need to trust that God alone can do it. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe they're dealing with some stuff that's hard. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's even retirement. Maybe you're close enough to that that you've begun to fret over retirement. Uh, I, I, I was uh, listening to a blog not too long ago in which they said the average American doesn't start saving until they're 50 years old. 50. Because up to that point, the kids are still at home. They're still paying for stuff. When the kids turn 50, by that point, maybe they'll, uh, when you turn 50, maybe your kids are old enough, they're out of college, and you actually can start saving money. And I wonder how many people are actually fretting over issues of their retirement. What do you need to deposit in the Father's hands? Paul had this image in his mind when he said this, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him until that day. Once you commit it to God, he does the keeping. You don't have to hold on to it anymore. He keeps it safe, so it can't be lost. You might want to let go of his hand sometimes, but he will never let go of your hand. Um, you guys know that I love my kids and my grandkids, right? You guys know that. Um, I received uh, even that one right there that keeps talking. Izzy, Izzy, Izzy. She blew me a kiss bag. Come on. It was worth it. Um, I got a, a gift for Christmas that's probably one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. I got a picture frame. But not just any old picture frame. It's a digital picture frame. And on that picture frame, you can load thousands of pictures and videos. And so I did. And I had my kids actually added into the ability to send pictures and videos and they can come directly to the frame. So all of a sudden, I can look over. It's sitting right next to me. Like, I sit right here. Here's my frame, right here. I can look over, and all of a sudden, I can see a picture of them. Or I can hear their voices. Uh, can I tell you the truth? Over this COVID year, I haven't seen much of my grandkids at all. And I, I've grieved over it. Uh, sometimes I just miss them. And so the picture comes on, and I hear their voice. And I'm alone, by the way, so it's okay. No one needs to know this. Uh, but I'm sitting there, and I hear their voice, and I talk back to them. Because I miss them. I miss their voice. So I love my grandkids. I love my kids. Now, I know this would never happen. This would never happen, okay? But let's suppose that my oldest child, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan, were to become a drug addict. Maybe even a drug dealer. And his life begins to go weird. Uh, the police are at his door and at our door constantly because of his malfeasance. He's constantly in trouble. He actually turns to crime, burglary, and robbery in order to support his habit. My question is this. Do you think that my relationship with Pastor Jonathan would possibly be strained? Yeah, probably. Do you think it would cause us pain and difficulty? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
But do you think that Jonathan is still my son even though he's become a drug addict and a drug dealer? Absolutely. There is nothing that he can do that causes him to stop being my son. I said that to them when they were little and all the way up through all of their ages. You are our children regardless. Doesn't matter what happens, you're still ours. You're part of the family. And when they got married, I would say to their spouses, you've married into the family. You are a part of the family for better or for worse. You're ours. You're stuck with us. Well, if that is true of me, an imperfect earthly father, how much more is it true of our Heavenly Father who gave everything in order to bring us into His family? He paid a full price for us. The death of His Son. The third thing I want you to get is this. My Father is in control of everything. Uh, I don't know if you've lived long enough to figure it out yet, but sometimes uh, life has a way of making you feel out of control. You have your plans, your lists, your dreams, and yet life can throw a wrench into it all. Uh, and when we hit those speed bumps in life and usually going much too fast, we suddenly realize we need a God who is in control. And this includes, by the way, even things we can't see. Because although there are things we can see, I hope you do understand that there are things going on behind the scenes that you can't see with your natural eyes. You're in a battle whether you know it or not. There's never been one moment in your life in which you've awakened, when you've opened your eyes, in which the devil has thought, I hope you have a good day. Every single moment of every day, he's out to destroy you and the price that God paid for you. So it's a battle. Peter and John, that day, that we're now reading about today, saw the mutilated body of their friend, Jesus, hanging upon a cross. And they thought that was the, that's all they saw. They saw Jesus dying. They didn't realize there was more going on behind the scenes that they couldn't catch a glimpse of with their natural eyes. So many of us forget this principle when we're going through hard times. We forget that while we're going through hard times, stuff is going on. While you're waiting for things to resolve themselves, God is always working. While you're waiting, God is working. While you're waiting for the doctors to figure out what's going on with your health, God is working in your own soul. There's things that God is doing in you that maybe could not happen any other way. I've lived now a few years, not as long as some of you, but longer than some of the others of you. But one of the things I have learned is that as I have gone through hard things in life, I have learned far more than some of my victories in life. The hard things have taught me stuff about myself and about God that I desperately needed. Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. My spirit. It's the truth that though we have a body, the truth is, we are a living spirit that is housed with this vessel of clay. That's all this is. This body is going to decay. Any of you who have lived any length of time at all knows this body decays. How many of you have aches and pains today? I hurt. I don't know what I did. I hurt my shoulder. I don't even know what I did. I think I rolled over in bed. But it hurts. This body is falling apart. But inside of this body is a spirit that continues to grow and develop and change to get better. You are a living spirit housed in a vessel of clay. And nothing that happens in your life is wasted because God uses it all. 
God uses it all for your spirit. Maybe your body isn't doing so well, but your spirit can grow. Paul put it this way when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light affliction, that's the stuff we're going through, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It might seem like a major problem to you, a challenge to be overcome, a a struggle to conquer, but there's more going on behind the scenes than what you realize. God is actually doing something in you and through you in the midst of it all. And then finally, fourth, our Father can handle anything we put in His hands. We finish that statement with, into your hands, I commit my spirit into your hands. Um, I don't know. uh, I was talking with some of the guys out at the Redemption Center recently. I don't know how many of you have ever shaken a farmer's hand recently. Shake Tom Weber's hands. Have you looked at their fingers? I don't know if it's from milking all those cows or what, but their fingers are huge. Their hands are big. And that's how I think about my father. My father had big hands. Um, they were unique. They, they were hard. They were uh, callous. They were tough hands. They were rough hands. Uh, and when my dad was young, these two fingers actually got shot off by a gun. They did. They were, they were shot off. And so all he had was two little nubs, just little nubs. And when we were little kids, he would take those nubs and he would tickle us and stuff like that. And I can still remember working with him. And he would be reaching, without looking, he would be reaching for a wrench next to him that he knew was right there. And the nubs are going like this and he's not grabbing anything because there's no fingers attached. So as I was growing up, how I thought about my father's hands especially was those hands represented the nubs. Well, when my dad died, the funeral home director thought he was doing us a favor and he put dad, positioned him in the casket and all of that. And he took his left hand, which was regular hand, no fingers missing, and put it over his right hand so that you couldn't see the nubs. And all of us kids gathered, without anybody being present yet, all of us kids gathered around the casket to say our final goodbyes. And we noticed that he had done that. The funeral director had done that. And we looked at it and we looked at one another and said, for every one of us, what we remember about our dad was those nubs. We remember them. We, we actually kind of grew fond of them after a while. Seems kind of odd, but it's true. And so we asked the funeral home director, would you take my dad's hands and put the right hand one on top so that everybody can see his nubs? Because anybody who knows my dad knows that. In fact, when my dad used to play guitar, he had to take the pick and tape it to his two fingers here because otherwise he couldn't hold on to it well enough to keep it there. When I think about my dad's hands, I think about these big, strong, rough hands. I also think about my dad's hands uh, disciplining me. Jesus never had any mixed messages from his dad. His dad's hands were always the same. They were always outstretched in love and care. Did you know that the hand of the Lord, that phrase, the hand of the Lord, or God's hands, occur over 400 times in the Bible? That's how much it's important to us. So as I thought about it, I I came to three things that I thought about God's hands. For me, personally. Maybe you have other things. In fact, I would love to see your list. What are other things that you see about God's hands? These are mine. Uh, I said God's hands are big enough to bless me. And I think about the fact that Jesus took the little children, and the Scripture says He laid His hands upon them and He blessed them. God's hands are big enough to bless. Secondly, God's hands are strong enough to keep me eternally secure. Jesus said in John chapter 10, 
No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hands. No one. Once you're in God's hands, no one. You might even try to jump out, but even that's harder than what you could imagine. God has such a hold of your life. And then thirdly, the hands of God are scarred with nail prints such that He can never forget me. Uh, We know that in heaven, everything is perfection. There is nothing wrong in heaven. There's There's no tears. There's no sorrow. There's no death. There's none of that. Everything is perfect in heaven. But there is one odd thing. God, for eternity, has scars. But those scars mean something. Listen to this. Isaiah 49 says this, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. When it talks about inscribing you on the palms of his hands, it's not just saying he's writing your name on his hands like sometimes we do. Like like when I'm trying to make notes, I'll write on my hand. He's talking about the scars of the nail prints that causes him to remember you forever. For eternity, you are inscribed in his hands. Jesus' last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Would you stand with me? Would you bow your heads? Seven last sayings of Christ. And we end with, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Do you know today that you're in the hand of Almighty God? He holds you. He holds you near and dear to His heart. No one can snatch you from His hands. You're His. I hope you know that because that not only brings comfort, it brings confidence. I am His. He holds me. Strong and secure. And His hands are for me. They're not against me. They're for me. He's not angry with us. He loves us. And even when he brings discipline, it's for our good to save us from ourselves. I hope you know that. That's my prayer throughout all of this. As we lead into Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday, my prayer was that these words would resound in your heart. You would take time throughout the week just to go back and look at them again and be reminded of the goodness of God. Father, I thank you today for we who gather here in your name and to know that we are held in your hands. As a child, we were taught the song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Well, he's got you and me, brother, you and me, sister, in his hands. Today, we are held in the hands of God. I pray that that would be a louder voice within our spirits than the voice of the lie of the enemy and the fear of our own flesh. The lies that we were raised to believe. To know that God loved us so much that He gave His life for us. To hold us strong, to hold us close to His heart. Father, we often have prayed, would you accept Jesus into your heart? But the truth is, He invites us into his heart to know the love that he has for us. God, I pray that that would be true for every single person here. And for any who don't know you, I pray that they would turn their hearts toward you today to know that 
God is not like they thought. He's not an old man up in the woodshed in heaven waiting to give us a beating whenever we blow it. He is a kind and gracious, compassionate and loving God who delights in showing mercy. That's our God. That's our Father. That when they think about God, they're not imposing upon it the imperfections of their earthly father. But know that the heavenly father is perfect in every way and he has never made a mistake. And that which he began in them, he will complete it. That's his promise. Lord, I pray that hearts would turn toward you today. That they would become followers of Jesus Christ. They would become disciples of God, their Savior. Bless each one, I pray, in the name of Christ. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. And uh, please don't forget, if you would, to wear your mask because you're making your way out. <laughs>